Donna this morning for your morning routine. Everybody's got one, right? My, uh, mine, like I said, involves a little bit of quiet time. I try to make time for myself, but it always, as many of you have already said, involves a cup of coffee somewhere, right? It's, it's not decaf. I've got to have full on. I've tried to find the strongest cup I can possibly brew and make sure that it, uh, it not, I can smell it, smell me awake. Not only just drink it, but smell me awake. Uh, and uh, I love it. We, my wife and I take turns making the coffee every morning. Whoever gets up first usually is the one who gets the honor. Uh, normally that's not me. And so she's usually the one making it. We, um, we have a French press. Anybody have one of those? Use that for coffee making? I love using it. We've used it for years. Um, it's, it's simple, but just in case you don't know what it is, it's basically you put in the coffee grounds in this pot, right? And then you pour in your hot water, and then you have a little lid system that has a plunger filter thing on the bottom, and then you set it on there, and then you just wait like three minutes, and then you just push it down, and all the coffee grounds go down to the bottom, and you get all the nice, warm, rich, delicious coffee at the top. Now, that's a fairly simple process. Even I can do it, so it's not terribly complicated, uh, and it results in all the coffee grounds being removed, which I prefer, right? I don't know if any of you uh, have done that, but if you've drank coffee, whatever method you use to make it, you ever had that coffee ground coffee, that one where y'all just slips through, and it's like, oh, how did I that even get in there? And he's just nasty. Who wants to drink? Nobody wants to drink coffee grounds, right? So I was having uh, morning uh, the other morning, and I was drinking my coffee, um, and I usually get my cup out, and I put some sugar in it, and then I put some uh, my coffee in, I put a milk in, and I, I stir it up. And as I was stirring it up, uh, and I kept stirring, stirring, stirring to make sure it was all in there, uh, I, I stopped stirring for a minute, and I was getting ready to drink it, and I noticed as I stopped stirring, right before I started to put it to my lips, that uh, there were coffee grounds in my coffee. All right, and they'd already started rising to the top, and <laughs> I don't know about you again, but I don't I don't like to drink coffee grounds since the filter that's on that French press, right? So I stopped for a second. I said, wait a minute. Let me carefully scoop each one of these out. I was a little bit miffed at my wife because she made the coffee that morning, so I'm pretty sure it was her fault that they were there, but I wasn't going to blame her because they don't do that first thing in the morning, so I just kind of left that alone, but I decided I was just going to scoop them out with my spoon, right? Just make this easy, enjoy it as usual. Now, that process got me thinking. As I was stirring up my coffee and then I saw the grounds rise to the top when it was resting, it started me thinking about the complexity of our lives today. Most of us live lives, me included, <laughs> that are stirred up, that are stirred up. From the moment our eyes open in the morning, we're barraged with information, right? With tasks, with notifications, if you have your phone up. We operate in this culture of noise, of distraction, of outrage, Right? Those things fill up our lives, and we feel as if someone is taking a giant spoon, just swirling them up, don't we? I do, sometimes. Those feelings are magnified this time of year, I think, right? you got the Christmas rush this past week. Even in a year when we're socially distanced, it still is a little bit frantic, right? It drains us. We look forward all year to Christmas Day. We were working so hard all the month of December, the whole week leading up to it, getting the house ready for guests, getting the gifts ready, doing everything it takes to, to get all to happen. And then it gets to that day and we finally go, whew, right? We just let out this exhale like, oh, thank you, Jesus. We're finally here. And maybe the day after you're like me and it's like, man, I need another day to recuperate from Christmas Day, right? We finally have that big exhale. But if you're like me, and I think most of us are this way, that as you're taking that little exhale, you're already starting to think, okay, what's next? What's coming after today? What's coming next week? New Year's is coming. I got plans to make. I got appointments to set up for the doctor. I got all these things to do, right? It already starts to swirl in our minds that we got stuff going on, right? 
We have a, a comment we have to reply to on social media. We have a, a news story we have to react to. We have a, an opportunity to be offended by somebody that we have to take it up on, right? We can't not do that. I think we've all grown so used to having these irritants, these coffee grounds, so to speak, swirled up in our lives that we can't imagine our life without them. Now, as I sat there that morning and I watched the, the coffee stop swirling and I saw the grounds rise to the top, my mind went to a, a line from a song. The line is this. It says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. I think ACDC sang that one, Brian. No, ACDC, <laughs> they didn't sing that one. Now, I don't think that was an ACDC song. No, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. But I was thinking about that song, or that line, a calm and quiet soul, right? That sounded really, really good that morning. And every morning when I wake up, I'm thinking, man, that sounds nice. I'm not always sure what calm and quiet looks like because I don't rarely ever get to see it. But I think I had an idea that morning as I looked at that coffee at rest, the irritants rising to the top to be scooped away. And I think that's what that line's talking about, right? Calm and quiet, the irritants being removed away at rest. The line from that song paints another picture the, the artist, the, the songwriter says, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. That's Psalm 131, verse 2. That song is from the book of songs in the Bible called Psalms, and it's songs written and sung by those who are responding to a presence. They're responding to a relationship with the God of the universe that loved them, that cared for them, that provided for them, and that offered them rest and calm and quiet. It was written by a king called David. It was a man in charge of this whole country, all right? Hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions of people. His life was constantly stirred up. His life was way more busy than ever my whatever would be, but it, it feels like it is sometimes. He was constantly stirred up. He had war to contemplate. He had politics to play. He had family strife going on. If anyone had a reason to live a hectic life, a swirled up, stirred up life, it was him. And then he writes here that he is calm and quiet. And he gives this other little metaphor, this analogy, this, this picture in our minds of, of a weaned child. Now, that's a metaphor that most of us don't use every day, all right? I don't think. Most of us probably don't even idea what it means, right? Unless you're a mom who's had children, you may kind of be like, what does that even mean? But I've had a few kids, and I've seen a few weanings, and I kind of had a general idea. If you've seen that, or maybe you've seen relatives who, uh, who have a child who's still on milk, you know that that child is, is dependent on that, right? Especially from mom. And what will happen is, as they're uh, in that mode as, of being infants of needing that milk, when mom's around, they're hungry, or always thinking they're hungry, and they're restless, Right? When mom's holding them and not feeding them, they're always looking for the next meal. They're never content. They're always stirring, looking for, whining for, crying for that next thing. David's lyric here shows that his life before this psalm, this song, was that. It was restless. It was troubled. Always thinking about the next thing to do, the next thing that will make him happy for a time, the next opportunity to fight and struggle against the people and things in his life. But something changed. Something changed. And he found a way to shut out the noise, to stop the stirring, and to be calm and quiet. 
You see, a child that's weaned that begins eating solid food does a remarkable thing. It's, it really is quite remarkable. You spend a whole year, if not more, uh, feeding this child and, and on-demand feeding every time they're ready, they're eating, or even if you're on schedule, but they're always constantly doing this. But as they start to wean, they have these long periods of time where they just play. <laughs> it's really quite interesting how they just finally sit and, and enjoy something other than the immediate need they want to satisfy. And even when sitting in their mom's lap, where before they would be begging for food, they're simply content just to sit, just to be there, just to enjoy sitting in mom's lap and playing with a toy and having a good time. It's crazy, really. A child that was so dependent on having a need satisfied immediately is now happy and content just sitting, just enjoying the presence, just enjoying being around the others, the, the mother, the father, the family. You see, that's what David's position is here. He'd found a way to stop playing the game that we all play. He'd found a way to, to stop being so self-focused, to stop worrying about what people thought of him or what needed to get done or reviewing the list of things he needed to do to make sure that God knew what he needed, right? And he's got this big list. All right, God, I need you to check all these boxes for me today. If you don't, I don't my day is going to be horrible, right? Always coming to God with his request. He said, I'm not doing that right now. I'm not doing that. He was able to simply sit in the presence of God and be satisfied. A calm and quiet soul, like that cup of coffee. I like the idea of that a lot, (laughs) but I'm not quite sure to get where David got. And I don't think I'm all that unique. I think we're people caught in this culture that has an idea of what calm and quiet looks like, but has no real idea of how to achieve it. And maybe most of us have given up trying. But apparently, apparently it can be done, right? That's what David is writing about here. David did it. He didn't have to have a prescription to make it happen. He didn't have to have a nightcap to make it happen. He did it without all those things. So it must be possible because I don't think David was exceptional. David was a flawed person, right? He was not a good parent. He was not always the best king. He was not always the best at, at anything. He had lots of lots of flaws, and yet still he found a way to be calm and quiet. And I think the first line of his song here gives us a giant hint on how he achieved that and how we can achieve that. So let's look at Psalm 131, verse 1, where he says this. It's going to be up on the screen, too, hopefully. So verse 1, not verse 2, if, it's, if you're following along. He says, O Lord... Again, this is a song, a prayer. He's calling out to God in this. He says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. David here is writing a three-line prescription, isn't he? He says, A heart that's not lifted up, and eyes that aren't raised too high, a mind that isn't concerned about things that are beyond control, those are the things that lead to this quiet and calm state. But before we get to those three things, oh so briefly, we're not going to go too in-depth on those, but just briefly, I want to note those pronouns. Always look at pronouns, <laughs> right? Pronouns are important. If, you don't, if you're not into English anymore, it's those things that signify who this is talking about. And what does he say? He says, my heart, my eyes, I do not occupy myself. Because here's the thing none of us want to admit. By us, I mean me too. We're in charge of the spoon. We're in charge of the spoon. God has blessed each and every single one of us with an amazing body. Some of us 
maybe more than others, right? Has blessed us with an amazing mind, a brain, some of us, again, more than others. We all have these amazing, unique talents, right? He has given us all these things. He even wrote out a list of commands, an instruction manual, if it were, to ensure that we know how to use those things, to use the spoon. He's like, all right, here's, you've got the talents, you have the abilities, you have the gifts. Here's the spoon. Here's how to use the spoon so that you're going to be able to have a nice, rest, calm life. And he does all these things, and yet we constantly still mess up, don't we? We say, well, I know I'm not supposed to stir it this direction, but I really want to, I'm in a hurry today, I really got to get going, so I'm going to stir it up. And then we splash it all over ourselves, or we burn people in our lives, right, by being in a hurry or thinking too far ahead. We're not sitting and waiting. We're always busy. Always busy, always thinking the next thing to get offended by or be outraged by or whatever it is. And we burn those things up in our lives. We're swirling and swirling and swirling. And God says, I wrote out the list of things for you to do. You just got to follow the instructions. But we don't. We don't. I don't. We make bad choices. That's the whole point of Christmas, right? The whole point of Christmas was that God had to come down and rescue us from those bad choices. And he empowers us. That's the beauty of a walk with Christ isn't, isn't, just an, isn't just a rescue mission. It's an empowerment tool. It's him living in us and saying, okay, now you couldn't do it on your own, but I'm going to be with you. And we're going to walk step by step, day by day. I'm going to hold your hand as you're holding that spoon so you don't stir too fast. Right? We're going to do this together. We're going to use the spoon the right way. But all those things he does for us and gives us, he gives us the ability, he gives us the list, he gives us the, the, the empowerment to complete these things. And yet... Ultimately, we're still in charge of the spoon. We don't like to be reminded of that fact, at least I don't. Because I want to say this. I want to say it's not my fault. I want an excuse for all my failures and mistakes. I do. I want to say I have to get all this done because if I don't do it, who will? I want to say, I can't help but respond to that post or that remark. I have to respond to that. How could I leave that alone? I want to say, I have to speak out against the latest movement or politician. It's my right. I've got to do those things. I want to say someone else is in charge of my spoon. And that way when my life gets crazy and I burn other people or things fly out of my mouth that I didn't intend to say or happen in my life that I didn't intend to do, that I can say, well, it's not my fault. It's just this. That all stuff was going on. It was crazy. I want someone else to be stirring the life I lead. Someone else to say, I'm not the reason that my life is swirled up. But ultimately, we're in charge of the spoon. We can allow things to be poured in and feel the need to keep stirring, or we can stop <laughs> stirring. Quiet our souls and allow God to pull all those things that are bad for us to the top and to scoop them out. Such quiet is, is, is achieved. It's not a spontaneous boom, done. It's a process we have to work through. It's a conscious, alert, chosen thing. It's a, it's a form of self-mastery, but it's only done by the grace of God, right? It's only by His presence, his relationship, they're able to find the reason and strength to choose to work through our biggest problem, and that's our proud self-will. There's three things, right? He says, one, I'm in charge of the spoon, David says, and he says, this is what I do. This is how I use my spoon the right way. He says, my heart is not lifted up, meaning he realized his tendency, our tendency, is to be self-absorbed, to choose to deny he did, anyway, chose to deny himself the things that have fed that need. You see, a proud, self-absorbed life says, I want satisfaction. <laughs> I want compensation for the ways others have done me wrong. 
If they would just own up, treat me like I deserve, right? I'm not asking for a whole bunch, I don't think. If only I had a little better health, maybe a little more money, maybe a nice vacation, right? Then I could find the rest that I'm looking for, right? If I had just a little bit of a success, maybe I was just a little bit faster, maybe a little bit smarter, if I was uh, you know, a good singer, a, a better father, a better mother, if I just had a little more things, or get the recognition I am for being those things, then maybe I could be satisfied, right? I want that control. I want comfort, ease, convenience. Who doesn't? If God wants me to be happy and he says he does, he wants me to feel good, why, why, do those things, why are those things bad? Are those things bad? Anxiety, irritation, ambition, they make sense from a, within a logic of this proud heart of saying, I need this, this is me. I've got to have this. But David found the key to stop stirring in the heart is to recognize that one, I don't deserve any of those things. In my pursuit, I've often stripped them from somebody else anyway. And two, they're not worth very much anyway. Instead, David says this. He said, he wants less of what he deserves and more of what he needs. More mercy, more grace, more forgiveness. A heart that isn't full, that's ready to be filled. He continues by saying that he had to lower his eyes, right? He realized that proud self-will led to a life that was always looking up at somebody in envy or always looking down on others. You see, pride isn't just about me, it's about you. I have to look down on you in some way. I have to establish my superiority to you in some way, right? Some people wear their ignorance and, and superiority openly. You know those people, right, who like to boast in their boasting, they, they got it all together, Right? Pride says, I'm right, but it also says, I'm right compared to you. You ever notice that even when people feel lousy about themselves, they're judgmental toward others? I say it's even worse. When you have low self-esteem, pride's still there, right? Pride still says, hey, we may be crabs in this giant bucket, but I'm a little higher in the bucket than you are, and I'm going to keep pushing you down to make sure you don't get up to where I am because I might not be much, but I'm better than you. That's what pride does even when we don't have low self-esteem. Even pride that's battered still finds someone to look down upon. As king, David had every societal right to look down on someone else. And yet he realized that the path to a quiet soul was not to look down on others, but to keep his eyes trained on the God that knows his true worth. And to know that that worth, his only sustaining gift, his only sustaining talent, his only thing that's going to get him through the day was finding that worth in God and not in looking down or looking up to anyone else, but trained on the Father who loved him. There he found satisfaction. Lastly, he says that he stopped being concerned about things that were way beyond him. Another way of saying this is that he stopped pursuing impossibilities. From your daily meals to your abilities, your opportunities, these are all gifts from God that you don't control at all. I don't control these things. So what happens when you attempt to control someone else's attitude or choices to bend them to your will? I've got kids. I know what happens. Nothing good, right? You can try to coerce them. You can try to, to do these things, but you set yourself up for all, all sorts of ugly failures when you do that. Despair, rage, anxiety, short-lived pleasure maybe. Hey, you got them to do what you wanted them to do for a short period of time. But you have to manipulate. You have to coerce. You have to be suspicious. Are they going to do it when I'm not around? You have to worry about all those things when you try to control others. 
What happens when you attempt to ensure that you're not going to get sick and die? You become obsessed, don't you, right? Diet, exercise. You get angry with the doctors whenever something's going wrong and you don't know why. You get played with, with fear that any nagging pain might be the next big thing that just finally ends it all. What happens when you are obsessed with getting to people like you, right? You become flirtatious or fake. You become a coward or a liar. You prop yourself up to be something you're not, or you just run away and hide from others because you don't want to expose yourself to, who, to them to what you really are. What happens when you live for success, right? Whether it's sports, career, physical appearance, whatever it is, one, you're going to either get injured, you're going to retire, someone's going to come along who's better than you at what you do, <laughs> right? You get old and wrinkled, eventually you're going to die. But when you pursue what you're called to pursue, it makes sense that you'd have composure. You discover what you made for. Having a calm and quiet soul isn't about giving up. I want to clarify this. It isn't about lowering expectations, but it's about realizing you're made for more than the short-sighted goals we set for ourselves. And when you go after the right things, you'll find what you're looking for. So dying to your restless, fretful irritable ways is the key, but that doesn't come easily, does it? I can tell you that's how the key to, to becoming calm and quiet. I can tell you that's how David achieved it, but there's, there's no way for, you, for me to just flip a switch and say, that's good. You need to do that in your life. Just do those three things and you're calm and quiet. Bam, done. It's over. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. To compose your soul, which is what David is doing here, means to literally level it. It means to bulldoze the building site. It means to run a plow across a bumpy field, to level it out. How do you purify your heart? How do you become humble in your heart? You don't wrestle yourself down by guilt. That doesn't work. You don't destroy your self-will by sheer will. You can't say, oh, I'm just going to stop being irritable today. <laughs> right? You can't do it. I'm going to stop being fretful. I'm going to stop imposing my will on everyone and everything. You can say that all you want. That alone won't do it. You can only do it with the help of the one whose voice calms the storm by holding on to the hand of the shepherd. You see, we need a great help. <laughs> All of us do. The way a drowning man needs help from outside himself to rescue him, and only one thing is strong enough to overpower the swirl of life. And that's what God promises to do in and through the life of Jesus. That's what David recognized. He says, when I love and trust and believe in the God that sustains me, that is where I find calm. By loving, trusting, and following Christ, he empowers us, he teaches us how to stop stirring and how to get us to a place of calm and quiet, a place of true rest. Now David ends his psalm on 31 verse 3, and it's going to be up on the screen by saying this. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You see, David's found something of greatest, greatest worth. And he wants everyone to experience it. That's why he says, oh, Israel, the whole nation, when you sing this song, is a country song, sing, oh, I've calmed and quieted my soul. That's the ideal, not I've obtained everything I'm trying to obtain, right? I've gotten to a pinnacle in my life where I wanted to be. I've gotten that car, that boat, that house, whatever it is. I've gotten all the things that I need. I've gotten financial success. I've achieved those things in my life. I can retire peacefully. I can be at rest. 
David says, no, country, when you're singing a song, it's not for ambition, it's not for pride, it's to lower yourself and focus on the God that truly alone can give you the things that you need. That's where rest is. Not responding to outrage, not through offense, not having your right asserted over others, but by giving it up and saying it doesn't matter what those things are. Those things are useless, they're pointless, they're worthless, what's of ultimate worth is being in love and being loved with the creator God through his son Jesus. Now, I'm not a king with the authority to call out an entire country, but this verse calls out to each and every one of you this morning, whether you're online or in person. Each and every one. So it's not all Israel this morning for us, but it's old Bill, right? Old Brian, old Dawn. Oh, Lisa, watching at home. Be calmed. Abide. Be satisfied. Be freed to focus on things that matter. Have the irritable things of your life removed by placing your life, trust, your everything in the hands of Jesus and resting in his presence. For seekers this morning, as we're getting ready to wrap it up, if you feel like, <laughs> as all of us have, probably do day to day, that your life's just a swirled up jumbled mess and it can't seem to get under control, right? And you feel like someone else is stirring the spoon in your life. Today is your day to realize that one, you're in charge of the spoon, but two, that there's a rescuer who's going to come into your life in the name of Jesus, and he's going to rescue you from that swirling and that, and that stirring, and he's going to help you to stop. He's going to give you the rest and calm and quiet that you've been looking for, the, the, the end of those completion of the tasks that you set aside for yourself today, the end of, of your pride, of ambition, of all those things. You think you're going to find rest there, but you only find more unrest. He's going to give you the rest free. <laughs> It's a free gift. By grace, we have been saved, the Bible says. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. He'll give it, and then he'll show us how to live it out. So if you're here this morning and you want to receive that, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. For believers this morning, first, we should be on day 70 of 90, reading Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. So I hope you've been doing that, but if you hadn't, then jump back on that boat, all right? So find it on your app, find a Bible, whatever it is. Take Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, and declare that you're that new human that Jesus makes us. That goes back to what we're talking about today, right? Jesus was at rest. He was never worried. He was never rushing. He was never doing all those things. He was, he was moving throughout his day, getting things done, but still calm and quiet and doing those things, right? Achieving that goes back to being that new human. He makes you new each and every day. Read Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You'll find it. Second, you need to look out for things that fuel pride, and I need to look out for things that fuel pride. If you find yourself offended <laughs> constantly, if you find yourself outraged at something or someone, you find yourself constantly busy trying to accomplish anything and everything, stop. See those things for what they are and remember this psalm this morning. Instead of rushing ahead, turn around. Sit in the lap of your heavenly Father and be satisfied there. And lastly, what I want you to do is going to help you do all this is write down this psalm. It is so short. It is so short. Three short verses. It's like nine lines. It's really short. It's, it's in poem form. It's really easy. Psalm 131. 
Write it out. There's something about writing things out to help you remember. Write it out. Put it on a sticky note. Put it on a piece of paper. Put it anywhere, anything, whatever you can do that you can find it and read it every day. All right? Just put it somewhere. Stick it up there. And then whenever you're starting your morning, whenever you're drinking decaf tea or a full caffeinated coffee like me or whatever you're doing in between, take and read that because your mind's going to start swirling as mine always does every single day of all the things I have to do. The first thing you need to do is read Psalm 131. And remember that those things, while needing to get done and will get done, are ultimately not going to satisfy you today. You'll find satisfaction, rest, calm, quiet in Jesus and in Him alone. He'll give you what you need. All right? So that's what we're going to do. That's your homework for the next uh, week. All right? Psalm 131, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Read those things. Be filled up with things that are worth being filled with and not being overwhelmed by the things that aren't worth being overwhelmed by. 